You and I don't like it when people put us in a box, do we? Well, Trent Griffith says, we need to be careful not to do the same with the Lord of the universe. You see, the tragic mistake that we make as human beings is to think that God can somehow fit in our little dwelling place. It, we create boxes here for Him to dwell in. He can only operate inside our parameters and our borders. But Solomon avoided that mistake by understanding, listen, I have built this place, but you, you are massively more transcendent than that. And the temple was designed to display that there was no other God like Him. It was designed to display that God is holy. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. One evidence that we're made in the image of God is that we like to make things. Now, we don't speak a word and cause something to exist out of nothing like God did at creation, but we do work to bring order out of chaos. Did you make your bed this morning? If so, you were bringing some order to the chaos that is in your room. If you look back through history, there have been some impressive structures built, haven't there? Think of the pyramids in Egypt, the Taj Mahal in India, or the Parthenon in Greece. They were meant to be massive, over-the-top, and jaw-dropping. Well, there was a wealthy king in the Old Testament who wanted to build the most beautiful house ever, not for himself, but for God. We're going to hear about that today. Here's Pastor Trent. I want you to open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 5. And if you've been following along this summer, we have been looking at the one epic story of the Bible. Did you know the Bible only has one epic story? And so when we open to whatever page of the Bible that we're looking at, we are looking at just the unfolding story of the epic story of the gospel. And we're learning that every page contains the epic story of Jesus. It also contains your epic story. So if I do my job right, you do your job right, you're going to see the epic story of the gospel. You're going to see the epic story of Jesus. And you're going to see your epic story right here in 1 Kings. And um, let me tell you where we're headed. Uh, right now. If you were with us uh, last time we were together, we were in the seventh book of the Bible. That was 1 Samuel. And uh, we learned at that point the promise. The promise was in peril because there was a giant that came out with a sword and David came out with a stone and the giant brought the sword to the rock fight and so he lost. And so now we fast forward a little bit and um, what happened in the second part of 1 Samuel was David became king. He patiently waited for God to remove Saul. We open up to 2 Samuel. It's all about the reign of David. And under the reign of David, the whole kingdom flourishes and everything's wonderful and growing. And we're seeing the promise fulfilled. And then David wants to build a house for the Lord. And God says, no, you can't, but your son can. Then we open up 1 Kings and it's all about the story of David's son, Solomon. And so we're going to find out that Solomon wanted to build this house for the Lord. So let's pick up the story in 1 Kings 5, beginning in verse 3. 
Solomon says, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. Verse four. Now, let me tell you, verse four is one of the most epic verses in the Bible, but you won't pick it up when I read it. Let me tell you why. Verse four says, but now that is not an insignificant now. It's like now, finally now. Now, after nine chapters of the Bible, now, after thousands of years of fallenness, now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. Underline the word rest in your Bible. I like that word? That's one of my favorite words. Rest. Is that one of your favorite words? That's great. Is that the way your week went, by the way? It's just all you did all week long was rest, right? took a nap every day, came to church. You're so rested and revitalized and you're not having trouble staying awake in the middle of a sermon on 1 Kings. Here you are. And not so much? That, that wasn't your week? Oh, you, the Lord didn't give you rest on every side? Well, you should have been living back in the Old Testament. Let's see, let's see what happened after that. It says, there is neither adversary nor misfortune. Again, is that the way your week went? You didn't face any adversaries whatsoever. Everybody was just cheering you on, patting you on the back, saying, you're the greatest. I want to be your friend. Here's some money. I mean, <laughs> is, is that the way your week went? Nor misfortune. No flat tires, no flooded basements. All the kids obeyed perfectly. No marital conflict. Is that the way you're... You, not, no, no. Well... That's the way that Solomon's day was going. He was having a great week when all this was going on. But all of it took place after thousands of years of conflict and facing giants and being in slavery. The people of God were in slavery. Remember, God had to make a path for the promise. And so verse 4 is telling us, you know what verse 4 is telling us? The promise has been fulfilled. What's happened? Remember the promise? Abraham was promised that he would be blessed and that he would become a great nation through his descendants. Solomon is one of his descendants. So they're living in the land that God promised, the promised land. There are no more enemies to fight. There's rest on every side. Do you know what happened in verse 4? God's saying, I kept my promise. And God keeps his promises. That's what we learned from verse 4. So because things were going so well... Solomon in verse 5 says, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. So today we're going to look at the epic significance of this. You see this? This, what is this? This is the Temple, you correctly identified the temple, also known as the house of the Lord, the dwelling place of God. Now, this particular model has been sitting on my desk all week as I've been thinking and studying about the temple. And it was in pieces when I found it because I bought it in Israel. It's a puzzle. I brought it, I brought it home to Scott and I gave it to Scott. And about an hour later, it came back and it looked like this. 
and it was not in pieces anymore. And it took him less time to build it than Solomon. It only took him about seven minutes. It took Solomon seven years to build this thing. And yet, if you study, this is what I've done all week long. I've been studying everything there is to know about the temple. And here's some of the things that I learned. Now, let me describe to you this house that Solomon built. And I'm doing this instead of reading for you chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, because there's a lot of detail. There's almost as much detail about the temple in your Bible as there is about Jesus, okay? There's so many intricate details. But it was built by Solomon. It took him seven years to build. It was built about a 1,000 years before Christ. And it lasted for about 400 years as the place of worship for God's people. But it's not there anymore. Why isn't it there anymore? Because of the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in, sent by God in judgment, and they destroyed Solomon's temple, burned it to the ground, plowed it to the ground. Just rubble. About 40 years after it was destroyed, God's people came back under the leadership of Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, and Ezra. You have two books in your Bible, Nehemiah and Ezra in the Old Testament, and it's all this story about how they came back and they rebuilt the temple. But they were very sad because the temple did not have the glory that it had under Solomon. Well, that temple, the second temple, that lasted for several hundred years until about 20 years before Christ showed up, 20 years before Bethlehem. At that time, the land of Israel was being ruled by the Roman King Herod. And King Herod was such an egomaniac. How many of you know an egomaniac? That everything he had, he had to have it bigger and badder than everybody else. And so he actually expanded the temple, not because he thought God was so awesome, but because he thought he was awesome and that was part of his thing. So he wanted to expand it. So that was 20 years before Christ. He kept expanding, kept expanding it. Jesus was born. He grew up. And so we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in our Bibles that Jesus went to the temple. Remember that story? Remember when he was 12 and his mom and dad lost him and they found him where? In the house of the Lord. And that was Herod's temple that was expanded. And then Jesus grew up and he actually one day said, Hey, fellas, I got bad news. Um, um, That's going to get destroyed too. And so Jesus died on the cross, went to heaven, and sure enough, just as Jesus said, about 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, the Romans came and annihilated that temple. Didn't leave a stone upon a stone, just as Jesus predicted. It was the judgment of God because the Jewish people had rejected their Messiah. And so it was just rubble. If you go to the spot where the temple once was today, what you will find there is there is a big, beautiful golden dome. If you didn't know any better, you'd think you were at Notre Dame. And it's a big golden dome. It's, it's actually a, an Islamic holy place. And it's called the Dome of the Rock, and it is built right on top of the rubble of the first temple and the second temple that was meant to be the meeting place for God. Now, you may see, sometimes you, you hear about, or you might see, even President Trump went to this thing called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Have you ever seen this thing? And these people, they go to the wall and they rock back and forth and they write prayer requests on pieces of paper and they put them in cracks of the wall. So the question is, what is that wall? Some people think it's a wall of the temple. It's not. It's a retaining wall that was built outside the temple. And uh, that's the last vestiges of anything that was around during the time of Jesus. And so it's a very holy place 
for Jewish uh, people there um, as they cling to the hope that one day the temple will be restored. Now, we as Christians, we read this story of this temple 3,000 years ago, and uh, even the stories of the temple that Jesus went to 2,000 years ago with some understanding that our Jewish friends don't have. And so we're going to see that here because there are some very specific, important lessons that God wants us to know in relation to this epic building. Okay, that's all the historical stuff. So what are the lessons? Here is the first lesson, and it is epic. Here it is. God desires to dwell with his people. Do you understand what a mind-blowing thing that is? Because God is God, and you are not. How many of you like to hang out with people that are like you? God likes to hang out with people that are not like him at all. And since there are no other gods to hang out with... Guess what he has done? He has made a way for you to meet with him. Let's look at it here in this unfolding story. Now, I want you to flip over about three chapters. Find 1 Kings chapter 8. And let's read this story here. Um, All of the floor plan and the design and the decor and the furniture in the temple had significance. And uh, we begin to pick up the story in 1 Kings 8, verse 10. And when the priest came out of the holy place, time out, you see the holy place was the innermost part of the temple. This was the place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelled, signifying the presence of God. There were two cherubim, angelic beings that hovered over the Ark there. And so when the priest went in to on the Day of Atonement, he was experiencing the holiest of holy places on earth at the time, the place where God dwelt. And so it says, when they came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The glory. What is this thing, the glory? What's your best thing? What's your best thing? The thing that people, it's like, you're either cute or you're rich or you're athletic or you're smart or you got more money than anybody else. Whatever that is, that is your glory. The glory of God is his best thing. So what is God's best thing? He's perfect. So everything is his best thing. And so the glory is that which God has made known to us. It is his Character in his nature emanating from himself, it is the self-disclosure of God. And it is a choice that God has made to come to where we are and make a way for us to know him. God longs to make himself known. And God invites you to meet with him. Do you like to go to meetings? I hate meetings. My staff can tell you I'm not a big fan of meetings. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, it was about seven in the morning and I was enjoying a cup of coffee at at the house. I was reading my Bible and my phone buzzed and it was, uh, it was actually 7.05. And it was a text from a friend of mine that I had scheduled a meeting with at seven o'clock 
we were supposed to meet for breakfast at, the, at a restaurant, and he was sitting at the restaurant, and he was just wondering, hey, are you coming? Now, that's awkward, right? Because if the meeting was important to me, I would have remembered, right? And so actually, I was close enough. I said, oh, I'll be right there. And I scrambled. I was there five minutes later, and I sat down for the meeting. But there was no way to recover from that, especially because of the fact that he came all the way from Texas uh, to meet me there. So (laughs) there's just, I mean, that's just, that's just bad, you know? Um, But here's something even worse. There is someone who has come a lot further distance to meet with you. And some of you don't bother showing up at all. God has gone to the trouble to bridge the distance from where he belongs to come to where we live. And he invites you to come and dwell in his presence. 3,000 years ago, that place was in the temple. Today, we're going to discover you can meet God anywhere at any time. And that's going to be the unfolding story here as the story goes on. But God desires to dwell with his people. Theologians call that the imminence of God. The fact that God is accessible. God has disclosed himself. God has made a way for you to know him. And so that was true 3,000 years ago, but we know that the meeting place of God and the place where the glory of God dwells now is where we read this story in John chapter 1, verse 14, a description of Jesus. And the word became flesh. That means he became a baby. He became a man, muscle and sinew and hair. And he grew up and he dwelt among us. Does that word sound familiar? He dwelt among us, and we have seen his what? His glory. Does that sound familiar? The glory of God on display in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? The temple is no longer a place. The temple is now a person. And if you want to meet with God, you come through Jesus And you see the glory of God on display in the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. God longs to meet with us. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, never been to church, you don't even believe the Bible, you're an atheist. You cannot deny that there is something within you. It shows up all the time in in literature, in the best of our stories. There is something inside the heart of man that longs to connect with something in another world. For example, Alice in Wonderland. Alice in where? Wonderland. Out there somewhere, there is something off that I... And how does Alice get to Wonderland? Anybody know the story? The rabbit hole. Remember that? Do you understand that that is simply a reflection of the truth that man longs to meet with God? And the temple was the rabbit hole. It was the place to connect with God, something otherworldly. You see, not only is God imminent, he is also transcendent. That means that he's not like me. He is beyond comprehension. And even though God has disclosed 
much of his nature to us, enough for us to know him. He's not disclosed everything. And so if I want to meet with him, I have to go through the rabbit hole. People had to go to the temple to connect with the holiness of God. So maybe you're not a fan. Y'all didn't seem like you knew the story of Alice in Wonderland. Let me try illustration number two. Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of what? Narnia. Yeah, that place on the other side. And, and Lucy had to go through the wardrobe to get to Narnia, to the other place. And there was a whole world for her to connect to. And you see, the temple is like the wardrobe. If you want to connect with God back in the day, you had to go through the temple, through the wardrobe to get to God. Some of you are still not tracking with me. You didn't, you've never read or seen Alice in Wonderland or Chronicles of Narnia. Third illustration, the matrix. So you got the red pill and the blue pill, okay? If you take the blue pill, you go to sleep, you wake up and you can believe whatever you want to. Take the red pill. Now we're on the other side. Do you understand what the temple's all about? And do you understand that that is simply illustrating for us 3,000 years later, if you want to see the glory, if you want to connect with something otherworldly, if you want to know the holy transcendent God, you have to go through the medium that he has provided. 3,000 years ago, it was the temple. Today, it is Jesus because we have seen his glory. The glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Point two, God wants to inspire my awe by his holiness. I want you to see here this incredible picture that he's put on display in this temple. Skip over here to 1 Kings chapter 8 and I want you to look at verse 23. Saul is praying a dedication prayer as the temple's been finished. And he says, oh, Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or in earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Skip down to verse 27. Solomon asked a very relevant question, a question you should be asking by now, 10 minutes into this message. It says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? And he answers his own question. Behold, heaven, the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. You see, the tragic mistake that we make as human beings is to think that God can somehow fit in our little dwelling place. It, we create boxes here for him to dwell in and he can only operate inside our parameters and our borders. But Solomon avoided that mistake by understanding, listen, I have built this place, but you, you are massively more transcendent than that. And the temple was designed to display that there was no other God like him. It was designed to display that God is holy. As a matter of fact, let me show you some of those things. Get back to chapter six. I'm bouncing around here, but I'm doing that to avoid reading seven chapters of the Bible. But uh, I want you to look at here in chapter six, verse 29. And notice the holiness on display in this temple. He describes the decor in this building. He says, chapter 6, verse 29, 
Around all the walls of the house, he carved engraved figures of cherubim. Cherubim. You know what that is? Those are angelic beings. So those were carved all over the walls. There were two of these cherubim, huge, in the holy place, the holy of holies, over the Ark of the Covenant. So when you saw those things, you were to be reminded, God is holy. And he's surrounded by angelic beings that cry day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so these cherubim, were all over the decor. Then he says there were also palm trees. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Palm trees. I've often tried to figure out how to get a palm tree growing in my yard here in northern Indiana. I'm a fan of palm trees. Palm trees. And then he says open flowers in the inner and the outer rooms. The floor of the house was overlaid with gold in the inner and the outer rooms. So you have a gold floor. And then verse 32 says, he covered the two doors with olive wood with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers and overlaid them with gold, spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So do you you see what's happening here? We have cherubim, palm trees, and flowers poured over with gold. I don't know what your house looks like, but that's pretty impressive. If you took a step in the inner court, from the outer court, into the inner court, into the holy place, into the holy of holies, with every step you were to be reminded of the awesomeness of God and the awfulness of sin. That God is holy and I am not. So what's up with the palm trees? You know what God is pointing to? Remember, this is the first time there's been rest on every side and there's no adversary, and there's no turmoil. When was the last time that was true? In the opening pages of our Bible, when we find man dwelling with God, where? In a garden. What's in the garden? Palm trees and open flowers and the presence, the glory of God. And so here we are thousands of years from the Garden of Eden and God is pointing back to the fact that He is a God that loves to dwell with man. And that ought to inspire awe in me that God would want to have a meeting with me. And today, every time you come to meet with God, the same truths ought to happen. You ought to see the awesomeness of God and the awfulness of sin. If you come to church and you stick around for an hour and a half and you go home and you don't see a little bit more of the awesomeness of God or the awfulness of sin, either you failed or I failed or we both failed because that's what a meeting with God is to be about, seeing the awesomeness of God and the awfulness of sin. That's Pastor Trent Griffith speaking a couple of years ago at Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. And next week, spoiler alert, he'll explain that the presence of God is no longer manifest in a physical building, but that we, God's people, are His temple. More about that next week on Resonate. You know, one way that we like to describe Gospel City Church is that we're a vertical church 
Everything we do is focused around bringing more and more attention to Jesus. As we fix our eyes vertically on Him, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we are being transformed little by little into His image. Now that is amazing. And if we are being transformed to look more like Jesus, that's going to affect the way that we interact with those around us on a horizontal level. So first, we're all about the vertical, and then the horizontal. If you'd like to visit Gospel City Church for a worship service, we'd love to have you. The best place to start is on our website, mygospelcity.org. When you go there, look for where it says, I'm new here. That's where you'll find information on service times and campus locations. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And if you're on Facebook, why don't you follow us by searching for Gospel City Church? Well, I hope you'll join us next week for part two of this message from Pastor Trent. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's presence would resonate in your heart and in your work this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.